listening to the Jelly Donut Podcast. I'm Ryan, your host. Join me as I talk to the best and brightest in finance and economics. We'll go beyond just theory and discuss some of the most important real-world macro questions of our time. What happens next and how does all of this end? Pull up a seat and listen in. We'll talk about it coming up next. Welcome our newest sponsor, Baron Fig. Whether you need pens, notebooks, or bags, they have you covered. Baron Fig makes tools for thinking, and they'll help you do your best thinking at home, work, and in between. And if you're a podcast fan, the small little notebooks they have are great for taking notes to refer back to later. I've been using their products now for, gosh, over five years, and I love the craftsmanship and attention to detail. So if you like the podcast, Show your support to Baronfig. Go to baronfig.com and use our code JDP10. That's JDP10, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. So go check it out right now while you're thinking about it. Today's show is brought to you by Kova Coffee. Kova is a specialty roaster out of Portland, Oregon, and they specialize in single origin coffees. They're committed to long term sustainable partnerships with coffee producers. Now, if you're like me, I love coffee. I like to start off with usually one or two cups. I make it by hand at home with a pour over, but it doesn't matter how you make it. You could be using a Mr. Coffee machine. It doesn't matter, but what does matter is the beans. You have to start with really high quality beans and you'll always make sure you have a great cup. So just say no to those burnt, over-roasted corporate coffee beans that you find at a grocery store and upgrade your coffee game I'm going to make it real easy for you. Here's what you do. Just go to covacoffee.com, that's C-O-A-V-A, coffee.com, and use our code JDP10. That's JDP10, and you get $5 off your first purchase. Do it right now while you're thinking about it. You'll be happy you did. Mark Spiegel is the managing member and portfolio manager of Stefano Capital Partners and is a New York-based equity investor. Prior to founding Stefanol in 2011, he spent six years as an investment banker, most recently as a principal with Piper Jaffray, focusing on financing public companies. Prior to becoming an investment banker, Mark spent a year working for a microcap NASDAQ tech company, and he began his career with 17 years in the commercial real estate industry. Enjoy my conversation with Mark Spiegel. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. I appreciate it. It's great having you on. So first question I'd like to start off with guests is going back to 2008, global financial crisis. Tell us a little about what you were doing professionally during that time and uh, what was going through your mind. So I was an investment banker then, um, as they say on the sell side. And, um, you know, we we would raise money for, for small public companies and just every deal, you know, froze to a halt, basically. And it was just mesmerizing watching watching the screen. It looked a lot like this past week, only, you know, it, it would happen for kind of week after week, month after month. And then you would have these crazy rallies and then it would happen again. And and I still remember, actually, I was in I was in my office. Uh, it was it was like late on a Friday in December. I might have been Christmas week or the week before when that Madoff story, you know, hit the headline. I think the story broke. If I remember right, it was like a Friday at, I don't know, 5 p.m. or something like that. I was on a conference call then. And, and I was like, holy shit. Wow, that's a story. So, yeah, so it was it was it was some crazy times. Yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of people have been trying to draw some comparisons between what's going on now and back then. And to me, if it feels, you know, obviously the market action's been pretty bad and a lot of volatility, but it, it definitely feels like 08 was was a lot worse, especially with some of the bank uh, liquidity issues at the time, but I guess we'll have to wait and see now what happens next here. Well, <clears throat> it was a lot worse so far. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this market peaked the trough, you know, was down, I don't know, uh, somewhere between 25 and 30 percent, right? And and of course, it was down a lot more than that 
in 08. But on the other hand, it was over a, a longer period of time in 08, right? It started breaking down in October. I think it was October of 07 and didn't finally bottom, of course, until March of, of 09. And and this was, I, you know, all these statisticians were telling us was the fastest, uh, you know, peak, you know, all time high into a bear market in history, you know. So um, so who knows? I don't listen. I don't know if it's over or not. I mean, we had a I've talked about this a lot on Twitter. We had a, a huge uh, QQQ hedge that I put on starting in January when I when I saw what was going on in China and I couldn't believe the market, you know, <laughs> wasn't taking that into account. And the first half of February was crazy frustrating for us because kept going up and up and up and I'm losing money every day with my giant hedge. And but as it turned out, you know, February was a great month for us relatively. I mean, I think we were up we were up like one percent. I think the market was down nine or ten percent. And, you know, as of as of right now, this is, um, well, Friday the 13th after the close. You know, it's another good month for us. You know, we're up around you know, a little over 5% this month. I, I, I'm guessing the markets are are down about, um, maybe down 5% this month now, because they were up 10, you know, anyway. So it's fine, and, and I took the hedge off last night after hours. I hope I'm right. Look, I, at this point, I hope, I hope we saw the bottom yesterday. I don't know. This could just be a fierce bear market rally also. So I guess we'll find out. Yeah, and let's go back into history a little bit. So after the crisis, we had, you know, the Fed's balance sheet was around 800 billion and they took that all the way up to the peak uh, to four and a half trillion in the, you know, years following that. Um, How do you, how are you viewing, obviously now it looks like there's going to be more a quote-unquote large-scale asset purchases, and you know, with this repo issue that that blew up, they're buying uh, the 30-day maturities, and they said, okay, well, it's not QE because it's on the short end of the curve, and now it looks like they're they're already expanding this program. How are you looking at that piece, just the balance sheet and kind of the easing? Right. Well, if they weren't doing that, there's no way I would have covered uh, my big short yesterday because yeah you know this economy is going to i mean the whole world's economy basically is going to be shut down for a couple of months all right maybe china's 50 percent back online but you know we're going to be shut down right for at least a month maybe two months so um you know in a in a in a traditional situation this market would be down a hell of a lot more on that but you know at some point you don't want to fight the fed and and not to mention the fiscal policy which of course the Fed is enabling. I mean, by printing money and buying treasuries and, and keeping interest rates down, it allows the government to rack up much bigger deficits. So, um, you know, that that's one of the reasons why I took off almost all our shorts um, in, in December, just leaving on a, a reduced position in Tesla, which, had, of course, had killed us over the years. It was just a big position and just went against us. Um, but, and then, but the, and the only reason I put those shorts back on was because of this coronavirus. And my theory was this is going to be so bad that there's going to be like a brief window of time during which it can overwhelm whatever the fed tries to throw at it. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened this week. Now I'm not going to, I don't take victory laps anyway, because I've made enough wrong calls, but I'm certainly not going to take a victory lap about that because, you know, we don't know if. Today was a bear market, you know, rally with the market up. I'm looking at my screen, eight and a half percent or, you know, or if this was the beginning of a, you know, a V-shaped bounce because they're throwing so much into this thing. I, I don't know the answer. You know, I don't know. You know, I guess they, you know, the reason I covered most of my shorts in December was, you know, as a friend, an analogy or a metaphor that a friend used years ago, you know, it, you know, if you're shorting stuff with the Fed, with just printing money as much as it wants, whenever it wants. It's like playing poker against a guy with a chip making machine on his lap. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he just calls every damn bet you make. You can't, you can't short that except for a narrow window of opportunity with a very specific catalyst, which is exactly what we got here with this coronavirus. Right. Now it makes a lot of sense. And now with this new plan, it looks like, um, looking at it here, so there's going to be basically $80 billion of, of planned asset purchases, um, but that looks like it's including already what they 
had planned. Well, so they um, which been, was so, sixty. Mm-hmm. Right. So obviously they had QT going on for a while. October that they stopped the QT, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and I think it was starting. Uh, I, I don't. I might not have the timing right on this. I think it was December that they restarted the QE, which they called not the QE, and and that's uh, sixty billion a month buying of short-term treasuries. And of course, what they announced today was instead of just short-term treasuries, they're going to buy across the whole curve. And they did say eighty today, but the twenty included, um, you know. I, I guess what comes up that they're rolling over. So it didn't seem like an increase that they announced today. It just seemed like they're buying across the whole curve. Of course, they increased the repo facility yesterday by by a massive amount. But you know that's a repo facility in theory. Yeah. In Fourteen days short term loan back out. But I guess yeah. I guess if you keep rolling it over, it becomes a, another form of QE. I guess right. Um, so yeah. Yeah, the whole thing is nuts. It's nuts. I mean, <laughs> y- you know, it adds a whole nother dimension. You can't just figure out the economy if you're good enough to do it or lucky enough. And you can't just figure out what's going on with individual companies. You have to allow for this crazy money printing that that distorts everything. Right. And 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 takes away, um, you know, the price finding mechanism. And but look, it is what it is. You, you know, you, you, you can either do it or you can just, you know, I don't know, go go run a subway sandwich shop or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually funny because I was reading a research report recently from a pretty well-known investor and he was actually advising people to open up a laundromat or a, a pizza joint, that type of thing in order to get a kind of like a stable income coming in. <laughs> and that was his advice. Well, yeah, I, I guess you don't want to do subway anymore because there, there are some hard times, but, but of course, you wouldn't be getting a steady income in the next, you know, month or two when when nobody's going anywhere. I mean, hell, I you know I live I'm in an apartment here at, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I'm literally not leaving this apartment except to walk my dog. I mean, I I, fi- I feel fine walking around outside. I'm not worried about mm-hmm. catching this coronavirus. The weak link here is that my girlfriend is a doctor and she's in the hospital every day. So. She might mm-hmm. wind up bringing the damn thing home anyway. She's not treating those kind of people. She's an obstetrician, but and you know she's trying to be super careful about it. I mean, she's she's very very strict with the hand washing, and she's wearing a you know not 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 that N95 mask, but a surgical mask at least to give her some protection. And you know, so but you know that's my concern that she'll bring it home because you know all the places I'd love to go every weekend. A great thing about being in New York is you can walk everywhere and. And I walk over to my diner on a Saturday morning and have mm-hmm. breakfast and read the papers and then walk over to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, you know, and well, the, you know, which is 10 minutes for me. Well, the Met is closed and I don't want to sit at a crowded diner counter in, in this environment. <laughs> so I, I guess I'll be streaming a lot of Netflix, although I, I am like so it's, it's almost sick. I'm so addicted to my to my tweak deck coronavirus column, which just streams all day long, even though I haven't filtered a little bit to just journalists that it's like, I, you know, I haven't been able to take my eyes off of it, you know, even on the weekends, I guess at this point there, there isn't a lot new to learn, you know, and you know, anyway, so. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've talked on Twitter about how you hate the, when the fed uses the term toolkit and tools. Oh, and oh it's funny you noticed that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so let's I mean, talk about that. Their, their toolkit is just printing money, right? I mean, that's their <laughs> toolkit. So, you know, it's like, um, you know, the old expression, you know, if all you have is, is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Oh, coronavirus. Let's print money. You know, I mean, it's like housing crisis. Let's print money. Right. Internet bubble pops. Let's print money. I, you know, I guess they weren't printing money following the Internet bubble, but this just slashing rates. But, you know, I mean, yeah, it's. It's I mean, these guys, I don't have to tell you anybody who anybody with any common sense knows that these Fed people are just just idiots. They're just they're afraid to 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 deal with the long term consequences of what they do. So they just, you know, now they're trying to blow the next bubble. You know, I mean, actually, I had some hope for Powell. I mean, Powell does know the score. You know, he had talked about it in the past about them blowing bubbles. But, you know, he didn't have the the cajones, if that's the word, to to stand up to Trump and and put us through the pain we should have had. So, you know, he he was 
cutting rates with a with a pretty strong economy and stocks at all time highs. He was cutting rates already, which is, you know, just moronic. But look, it is what it is. You know, we have to deal with it. Yeah. And so we've talked on the show in the past about looking at the 10 year. Um, I remember in 2012, there was a lot of debate where we would go under that one and a half um, uh, on the yield. And then, you know, we did. And then we retested that in 2016. And then since then, there's been a lot of naysayers saying, you know, that was the low. We were not, you know, we came close a couple times to, to retesting that. I think it was one spot three eight or one spot three six. And then <laughs> now look at this, you know, past week or two, what's happened. You know, we blew through one and a half, blew through, um, you know, one and then 50 bips. And I think the, the intraday low was maybe 35 basis points, something like that. So, I mean, what's your view on looking at the bond market right now, just, well, just you know, in general? Well, you know, the bond market, you know, by the way, so, you know, Jeff Gunlock, who is a very, very smart guy um, and, you know, certainly worth hundreds of times probably what I'm worth. But, you know, I'll never forget when he said something like, you know, you watch that 10-year yield. If that crosses, I don't know, 2.3 or whatever the hell he said, I have to pull up a chart. It's going to fly. It's going right. Yeah, it was it's two. Just, yeah, two spot three. And then he, he made some comments that he felt the support was so strong on at that one point three six level that we would never retest it. Yeah. So, you know, look, if he doesn't know who the hell knows. Yeah. But by the way, I've never maybe I've missed it, but I've never had Jeff heard Jeff actually say that he was wrong. <laughs> you know? I remember I remember the first time he shorted the S&P, he was like, I am 100 percent confident, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that worked about as well as my shorts were working at the time. But anyway, so but but he is he is, you know, he's the new bond king. He knows at least as much as anyone and certainly more than I do. So, look, if he's missing it, I you know, it's a bubble. Bonds are the biggest biggest bubble in history. Right. I, I mean, I'm sure your listeners, this is not anything new to them. I mean, I mean, all these governments are. Are, are essentially bankrupt in one way or another, right? And and they'll never pay this back. And the and the ultimate outcome for the entire West, I don't know, except maybe Switzerland or something, is is going to be you know very high inflation to try to inflate the debt away. And these yields are just nuts. We have a small, very small TLT short position I put on, uh, I guess last week. Um, I think right around, I think roughly where it is now. Um, and of course, it went against us a little bit. I mean, I'm looking at TLT. It's it's 154s. It hit like 179 or something like that. And you know, even then, I'm I'm you you know, I was like, you know what? What what the hell do I know about bonds more than anybody else? Other than that it's a long term bubble. So I thought about in the 170s doubling the position, and I didn't. You know, that's okay. What I did do for the first time ever. Let me see. Uh, hang on one second. Let me see where that TLT. Uh, sure. Yeah, our, our, our basis is 154s. It's exactly where I shorted it. Um, for the first time ever, I bought some gold. Also, I think it was last week, um, just for the exact same reason that, you know, eventually they're just going to crush the dollar. The, the problem is the timing. But I thought gold would get an extra kicker from this coronavirus. And of course, it did for about 15 minutes. And, and, now, <laughs> and now it's completely collapsed. And and you know, the theory is, oh, people needed liquidity. I don't know. I mean, you know, stocks soared today. This wasn't a day when people would have needed liquidity and yet gold still tanked. And then it's and then the reason is, well, people didn't need gold because stocks were soaring. I feel it's a relatively right. small position for us. So I'm, I'm yeah. laughing at it more than being bothered by it. But for years and years, I used to hear the gold bugs, among whom are very good friends of mine, some of whom are my LPs. And they're all smart hedge fund guys themselves. And and I would hear the frustration. Oh, it's a conspiracy. This, you know, it's like the zero hedge, you know, gold guys who write about gold. It's one conspiracy after another. Now I can understand their frustration. <laughs> we know <laughs> there's know? a lot of market manipulation there going on. And there's even been some recent convictions, I think. Um, but, you know, there, it's a lot of it just got swept under the rug. And I guess Listen, you don't manipulate gold was down sixty one dollars today. I, I don't think that's manipulated. I don't think so. OK, I mean, look, I mean, it could be uh, you know, here's <laughs> how it gets manipulated. If you know, if if, if um, uh, you know, if Putin and his friends say, hey, you know, let's short the gold market and then dump a bunch today, you know. OK, so it could be that kind of manipulation. 
you know, it would have to be sort of corrupt public officials. I don't think there's, you know, I don't think that's that just can, too much volume for guys for in that, London fucking around can drop gold sixty dollars on. In, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. No, I, I follow you there. And just to circle back on the um, on the gun lock comment, you know, I've I don't think I've missed a, a webcast since he started and uh, moved over from TCW. And he's he's commented in the past he gets the calls right around seventy percent of the time or something like that. Oh, okay, so, fine, all right, good, good. You know, Look, for, I don't mean for the to... most part, it's uh, he's right on the money. But as you mentioned, he made that call on the the two spot three zero, and then said several times that he with a strong conviction that we wouldn't uh, retest that 1.36 and, you know, we had already seen the lows. So I think it's a testament, as you mentioned, to even he underestimated the amount of kind of government, uh, you know, buying that was was, was going on. Yeah, look, I, and to be clear, I didn't, mean that at, yeah, I didn't mean that at all uh, as, a, as a dig on Gunlock. What I'm saying is if he's screwing up short-term bond market calls as good as he is, which is a lot better than I am, or at least more knowledgeable at the bottom end, then what the hell hope do I have? You know, I know where it's going in the long run. So if, so if it's a cheap enough trade to carry, which TLT is, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do it. My favorite, you know, short bond market call, which I've had for a long time is, uh, is being short in ETF with the ticker BNDX. Are you familiar with that? No. So that's an international, that's essentially an ex-U.S. Uh, sovereign bond fund that has, you know, the biggest holding is is um, is Japan, and then I think there's Germany, and you know, it's basically every every country of any size outside the U.S. Tickers BNDX, it's the Vanguard uh, International Bond Fund or something. It's currency hedged. It's incredibly liquid. Uh, for me, it's a slightly positive carry trade because. The 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 real SEC yield on that thing now is I don't know you know less than half a percent maybe less than forty basis points now I, I I can look it up real quick and so I get a rebate on the cash balance although from my prime broker um, so it it hasn't you know it's, it, it was a free it's essentially free to to hold and it's a, it's an interesting way to short what I think is even a bigger bubble than U S Treasuries which is which is ex U S Treasuries. So, mm-hmm. you know, let me let me see what that thing is yielding right now, just just in case anybody's interested. Yeah. So that it's 34 basis points is the 30 day SEC yield. So. Um, so, yeah. So we've had a short position that. But, you know, typically that thing moves like, you know, paint drying. Right. Mm-hmm. And this week it made some insane moves like that. I had never seen it make before. So anyway, that's. That's a larger bond short for us than, than TLT. And your view there is because of all the negative yielding rates around the world, even uh, lower than uh, U.S. rates? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I, 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 look, now it's a lot closer, okay? So with, you know, with our 30-year yielding, uh, like, looks like one and a half today, around, yeah. you know, 1.6, and it was less than that earlier this week. But still, and that's 30 years, of course. This is 10 years is the average uh, term on this. But 34 basis points, well, that's closer to zero. And, you know, Japan is is in much worse shape than we are. But look, I mean, the lesson in this is is these things can take decades. You know, these you can't make, you know, they used to call these things, you know, widowmaker trades, which they are if you lever them up, for sure. If, if you do it the way I'm doing it with no leverage, it's not a widowmaker. It's just it could be a do-nothing <laughs> trade for a while <laughs> at this point. But right. um but, you, but I mean, look at it. Japan's gotten away with this crap for decades. So who knows when it'll go? You know, eventually it's going to go, but I don't know when. Maybe it's next Tuesday or maybe it's the year 2060, you know? Yeah, it brings up a good point. And that kind of segues into you did a, a really great podcast on QTR and broke down um, Tesla. You broke down the balance sheet and, and got into some of the financials and, and made it, explained it in a very easy to understand way of, of where the company should be valued. Maybe not at zero, but much less uh, than than where it is. And uh, you kind of laid out the case for that. Um, but also, and I was way you- too generous, by the way. Now, I, yeah, mm-hmm. the last time I was on, I mean, <laughs> I really, the number, the, the numbers I gave them credit for, I was way too generous because I gave them credit for 
for gap profits that aren't going to be there. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, oh, yeah, that's um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. So as you talked about on that show, um, you know, the timing is super important. You, you mentioned, you know, putting on the short and, and, and maybe taking it off or adjusting the position, but, you know, being able to be patient there because it could take a long time before the market uh, comes to terms with that. And then and tying that into just the Fed's toolbox and the <laughs> The toolkit, I know I'm going to trigger you there, but yeah. it's been floated already with the ECB uh, possibly buying equities. And now that rhetoric has been ramping up here in the U.S. So how do you attempt to short stocks when the Fed possibly starts buying equities there? You so. know, I mean, well, OK, so first of all, I, I believe they need a, an act of Congress to, they be able do. to yeah. do that. Um, but look, that's not to say that, that they couldn't push it through. You don't short. I mean. If you're going to short stocks, short a fraud, short something, you know, yeah. with a catalyst that's going to zero. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can short stocks if, 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 if the Fed's going to actually start directly buying stocks rather than just giving cheap leverage to hedge funds to buy stocks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can't. It's, you're, you're back to the guy with the chip making machine on his lap. You know, look, we've made nobody makes money over time shorting stocks. I mean, nobody makes a lot of money over time shorting stocks. Um, I, I don't know, maybe Jim Chanos has, but, but even he, by the way, you know, I think in his main fund, he's long the market and then he's short individual names. I think he's like, he'll be long the, the NASDAQ and then short yeah. names. So he's, he's basically just looking for alpha that way. And, and that's a different deal. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, over time, you, you know, basically you, Basically, you want shorts in order to make you bold enough to get long, you know, the names that you like and yet know that, you know, that your ass is going to be covered if, if everything, you know, collapses. Right. Which mm -hmm. is sort of what I did on this QQQ short, um, you know, through this coronavirus thing was, you know, I mean, we've made most of I've made most of my money and, and for the fund and before I had the fund on just deep value micro cap and nano cap stocks, you know, companies with great balance sheets. It's a very inefficient market. Guys running a lot of money can't get involved there. And, you know, they're, and they're usually fallen angel companies that are, you know, breaking even or losing a little. But, you know, they've got years of cash in the bank and hopefully they turn around anyway. So, you know, I've got some of those, but I was just terrified what would happen if the, if this whole market crashed being a bubble with this coronavirus thing. So, you know, that's what really saved us. And those those stocks, you know, got crushed this month. You know, they're, they're probably down twice as much as the market. But my QQQ short was, you know, roughly twice as much as the as the value of those stocks, because I figured, you know, they'd go down more. They'd have, you know, you know, whatever, twice the beta or whatever. So. Um, so, yeah, so. I'm not interested in, in, in outright shorting because I think I'm going to make a lot of money shorting anymore. You can't with the Fed printing. We had, we had a window during QT when I put on a lot of shorts, mm -hmm. and, and, and they worked. I mean, yeah, you know, we that was short, pretty you know, short, right? How long was that? Six months? or Yeah, it was, I don't know, maybe it was four or five or six months. And, yeah. and I was short names, all names that you know. And and we we hit them right. And it worked. It worked for I, I don't know, maybe I was short six names and it worked for five of them. I mean, stuff like like Netflix and um, and Carvana and, um, um, uh, you know, a company called Invitae, you know, all kinds of all kinds of. Well, Netflix is a real company, just terrible cash flow. But, you know, just a lot of a lot, of, you know, Square, you know, a lot of companies we that, you know, that were just bubbles in and of themselves. And it worked. And then and then when they when they stopped the QT, I kept it on. But then when they started buying the treasuries, I'm like, no, I'm getting the hell out of here. So I closed them all out. I, I think we made money on five out of six. And then they really took off, you know, into mid-February. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm glad I covered them. And now, of course, you know, they all got completely slammed last week. And most of them are are, are even below where I covered them. But I shorting is really hard in this environment as much fun as it is you know yeah and let's talk about the mechanics of shorting you mentioned on the qtr podcast about how elon would probably do another debt offering and wouldn't issue more stock and there's some issues yeah. there where it's hard to get a borrow and he's trying to restrict the amount of shares which made a lot of sense so let's talk a little bit about that piece well it surprised me that he sold 
uh, common stock rather than trying to do another convert, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously, now it's a busted deal, right? Where did you do that deal? In like the 760s? I'm not sure exactly, but that sounds about right. Yeah, 767. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so it's um, it's over 200 bucks below that now. Um, yeah, no, it surprised me that he did stock, but he's lucky he did because uh, this quarter is an absolute nightmare for him in every territory. You know, China, now Europe was terrible the first two months, and now half of Europe is shut down in this third month. And from what we can tell, the U.S. has been pretty disastrous. And he's lucky he did that because he doesn't have anywhere near the cash he pretends to have. I mean, he shows cash at the end of the quarter, which is basically just by stretching out his bills, you know, until he probably pays everybody the first month of the new quarter, you know. Um, a lot of his sales were, were fleet sales. He just channel stuffed you know, to do the units last quarter. So, you know, he's, I wouldn't be surprised if he burned, you know, that $2 billion even in Q1 here. I mean, he could, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just saw the announcement a few days ago that the, uh, the, they crossed the million car mark. <laughs> they seem to be excited about that. Yeah, it's the only company that built a million cars uh, and had a loss every single year it's been in business, like 17 years, I think. This is his 17th year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a joke. It's not a viable business. You know, the, the little subsidy schnorrer, there's an article in the Times today, in, in the journal today, uh, he, he's been traveling to D.C. to try to get subsidies for those stupid satellite constellations he's trying to launch for SpaceX, Every, for broadband, rural broadband. It's, it, it's such a mm-hmm. small number of people, it can't possibly pay to launch satellites for them. And, of course, multiple companies failed doing that. So he's, you know, being the subsidy you know, truffle hunting little pig that he is. He's in Washington begging for money. He's getting pushback. So we'll see what happens. You know, hopefully, hopefully our tax dollars, more of our tax dollars will not be going to that guy, but we'll see. Yeah. And let's transition to talk a little bit more about the broader economy here. So suppose we just saw the, the Trump press conference and seemed like markets liked what what they had to say. Now, some of that, it was just, there was just so much selling going on and, the market maybe needed a little bounce here, but you know, what's your what's your thought on the recent price action? And then I was going to mention supposedly in an hour or two, we're they're going to be releasing some details about the stimulus plan. They they did announce uh, student loan interest is going to be have a moratorium there. They haven't announced too much else, um, but people I think are waiting right now of of what type of package this is going to look like, maybe on the fiscal side and and maybe even from the Fed too. More more announcements. Yeah. I, I mean, you asked me that, you know, the one thing we should immediately do, which they did do, is is immediately waive the the waiting period to collect unemployment. You know, so if this virus mm-hmm. shuts down a restaurant or, you know, any kind of business, a cruise ship or whatever, and people are mm-hmm. laid off, they can immediately collect unemployment. I'm 100 percent for that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm for, you know, two weeks of, of, of paid leave if this thing lays you up. And, and the reason to do that, the best reason is to get those people off the street so that they don't feel forced to power through and go to work and then spread this disease. So I think yeah. it makes sense. And beyond that, I mean, why the hell else should we be, you know, having stimulus? We're going to stimulate the cruise ship industry and the airline industry. I mean, <laughs> I mean, these fucking guys, you know, all they did was was borrow money and buy back stock for the last five years. Now sell some stock, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's not up to taxpayers to, to, to bail these out. You know, you're running a business, buddy. You thought you were so smart levering up in a bubble and buying back stock at bubble prices? Great, so now you can sell stock at one third or one quarter of what you bought it back for to keep your business going. Or go into chapter 11 and let and reorganize and let somebody else take those cruise ships over. They're not gonna scrap them, you know? The jobs will be there. So we haven't seen yet what's going to happen. Hopefully, hopefully they're not going to get bailouts like that, you know? Yeah. And I just heard Scott Minard from Guggenheim floating the idea that this could actually be a investment opportunity for the United States like it was with GM where they eventually paid the money back. So we're already hearing uh, from certain analysts that, you know, kind of prepping the, the conversation going into Scott this. Must, Scott must, uh, who I don't know, I shouldn't call him Scott, but I'll call him Scott. He must own the bonds, you know. <laughs> so that's all I can think of, you know. He's a smart guy, by the way. I like watching him. And, and you know, unlike a lot of guys, he's he's a healthy skeptic, right? I mean, he's yeah, been kind of he bearish has. for a while. And, in fact, 
In fact, he was bearish going into the beginning of, I believe, the beginning of 2019, which yes, obviously he was. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good you you were a good repository of memory of this stuff, and and I have a lot of respect for him. And, and besides being very, obviously very very successful, he's he's also um, he's got a good skeptical eye. But you know, screw bailing out his his you know cruise ship bonds if he has any. I don't know he has any, but. Yeah, well, he was also directionally right on some of the yield activity. I think he was calling for some between 25 and 50 bips, which we saw. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people talking their book here. And, um, you know, once the bailouts, if they do start happening, you know, it's we're, I think there's it's going to ramp up and everyone is going to demand – something we've talked on the show about going back to 2008 we saw the bailouts of certain industries whether it's banking auto and then there was a lot of speculation that the next time around which we're kind of here i guess already um that the the general population is going to demand you know whether it's ubi whether it's handouts and those type of things so do you think that's a road we're going to go down well i I don't know but i mean why should somebody Who's getting paid? Get a handout. Yeah. If you know, if Amazon says, I'm not saying I don't. I know Amazon said, hey, all non-warehouse workers, you know, work from home, right? So if people are working from home, if they're getting paid, why should they get a handout? Right. So why? Because because there's this virus out there. First of all, you don't want to give people money and have them go out and spend money. You're trying to get people to what are they so, to social distance, right? Yeah. You don't, so you don't want people going spending. So. You know, yeah, if someone's if someone's out of work, give them the unemployment insurance immediately. But why should we be handing out money? There's a bunch, you know, there's a bunch of politicians, mostly mostly, um, you know, left wing Democrats who are like, yeah, you know, let's not let any crisis go unwasted. And they're calling for yeah. you know, permanent sick leave and permanent UBI and permanent this. And that's bullshit. That has nothing to do with this thing. You know? Yeah. And, and by the way, on the other on the other side of it. I am not defending the way Trump uh, handled this. There are a bunch of fucking idiots there. I mean, pe- I mean, there were a, a, a core number of people on Twitter. Um, you know, I was one. QTR was one. There were a bunch of guys. There's this guy who writes the Epsilon blog, Ben something. I mean, we've been saying we we saw what was going on in Wuhan, China, and and since mid January, we were like, this is a big deal, and it's coming here. Right. And to the point where I said it when I put my QQQ short on, I guess that was like towards the end of January. I'm like, this is going to be really big and really bad here. And I mean, what the fuck do we know? You know, we're a bunch of financial guys. If we saw how bad it was going to be here, it's an absolute disgrace that the professionals, you know, at the CDC or whatever agency was to handle this, weren't all over this. That, you know, that, I mean, they could have seen the same videos we saw coming from yeah. Wuhan. And and they should have been ordering all those damn test kits and all those masks and everything else. And instead, they sat on their ass. And Trump, who's, you know, generally speaking, I preferred his policies uh, over the Democrats in general. I mean, he's been a he's been a complete disgrace, a moron. And I'll have blood on his hands with this with this whole thing about, oh, yeah, let's not do anything here because then the numbers will look bad. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, how stupid is that? It's like. You know, it's not, you know, he's a, obviously he's a, he's a self-centered narcissist, but it's not even in his own interest to do this because what, he's not going to stop the numbers from getting big. So he should have gotten ahead of it. So instead, he'll, you know, instead he just likes like an idiot, which I guess he is, but our local politicians here in New York have not been much better. I mean, I mean, Cuomo and de Blasio have been, you know, a week behind this the whole time. His first week, you know, Cuomo's holding multiple daily press conferences, and his whole first week of doing it was, this is just a bad flu. He literally said, look, let me give you some perspective. I'm paraphrasing. There's mm-hmm. been 100,000 cases, and there's only 4,000 dead people. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? I mean, right. I mean he's, a, he's, a, he's a hack politician idiot. Even as, as far as I know, he's only limited gatherings finally yesterday to no more than 500 people, you know, not not like 30 people or shutting restaurants, which he should. And and our hack local politicians, we have this guy, the city council president, Corey something or other. I, I just happened to pick these guys up in my tweet deck feed for coronavirus. I don't normally follow him. 
And, you know, every day until today, pretty much, he was urging, quote unquote, healthy people to go out and ride the subway and patronize our restaurants. And last week he had a picture of himself all proudly riding the subway and do, going to some restaurant in Chinatown. I mean, these fucking morons, there's a, there could be a 14-day asymptomatic period during which you have this virus and you're spreading it and you think you're healthy, you know? I mean, but these guys should be telling everybody, cut all travel whenever possible, no matter what. If you have to go to work, go and come straight home and don't go bopping around town. I mean, there's these politicians are stupid. I understand why... Um, you know, most politicians are just not smart enough to do anything else. Bloomberg was a rare example of a guy who was actually, you know, love him or hate him or feel somewhere in between. He was a smart, competent guy, and that was rare, you know? Yeah, and what's going on in New York right now? Because we heard about the National Guard, and we heard, obviously, the rhetoric changed really dramatically from the politicians but are people being told to stay home or what's going on over there well the national guard was only i think a one square mile section of a town in new rochelle a town in westchester county called new rochelle okay. and that wasn't like apparently it wasn't like some blockade out of the movies i don't even know what it is because they're not even forcing the restaurants to be closed so i don't know what the, i don't yeah you know he you know cuomo came up with some name for it but it was really nothing i mean <laughs> De Blasio has not yet closed the schools in this town. I'm talking about in, in New York City. Yeah. And he should because, you know, yeah, kids aren't dying of this, but they're getting it and they're spreading it to people who will die from it or wind up hospitalized. And, you know, it's just it's just really badly handled. It's not it's not taking as, seri as seriously as it should be, you know, at the federal level, the state level or the local level. Now, some guys took it seriously. Right. The, that governor of Washington saw how bad it was right away and he's been all over it. But. You know, he's one of the few. Yeah, and then when you look at just the damage to the overall economy, if people are going to be staying home for, even if it's weeks to to possibly months, as far as the impact, just everything. I, I'm just seeing across the wires here that Patagonia, the famous <laughs> jackets, yeah. down jacket uh, company, is closing all their stores. They're shutting down even the website, everything. Um, I guess indefinitely for now, but this wow. is, I think we're just going to be seeing, you know, wow. more and more of this. And so, you know, what impact, I mean, let's just <laughs> speculate here for a few minutes on, on maybe once the market starts seeing these kind of go in a domino effect and that could even turn the, the sentiment back the other way. Well, it could, I, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, as I said, you know, if it weren't for the, for all the money printing and the, the unconventional, crap, which I guess now is becoming conventional, you know, the, I, I mean, I wouldn't have covered my short down, whatever, 28%. I mean, this market yeah. should be down 40, 50, 60%, maybe 70% on this. But I don't know. It's, it's Look, we've never seen anything like this before. We've got this push-pull between, you know, the economy shutting down for two months versus all this Fed stimulation. Now, <clears throat> there is there is another argument one can make, which is this. If you believe that interest rates will perpetually be very low, okay, even if not this low, but you know, let's just say that you think the ten year will will settle in at you know two percent forever or yeah. one five percent forever. Obviously, if you think it's forever, you can pay a much higher multiple for a stock, and and you can and your discount rate becomes much much smaller, right? And so. Mm -hmm. You can look at something and say, well, I'm looking at, I'm, you know, I've, I've got my spreadsheet. I'm, I'm analyzing this company. I'm looking at cash flow or whatever you want to look at, you know, for the next 20 years. So 20 years is 80 quarters. So, you know, they're only missing two quarters here, you know, so they're missing, you know, uh, you know, two and a half percent of what I'm looking at. And my discount rate is so low that the out years, I don't have to discount on that much. And you could say, well, the market is more than adjusted for that. Now, that assumes, you know, that assumes a perfectly rational market run by CFAs. <laughs> right? and, yeah. and of course, and of course, the market is actually run in the short term by emotion. But if 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 you if you did the sort of the cold clinical analysis I just did and you believed interest rates would stay long for a very long time, which I don't believe. But, you know, I don't know when they're going to pop anyway. 
you could you could say, OK, the market overcorrected and this is a buying opportunity. And even if everything shuts down, that we're at fair value for this market, especially with the Fed help. So that's a long winded way of saying I don't know where things go by now. There are just too many cross currents to really know. Yeah, and that brings up a good point about equities maybe becoming attractive with yields so low, especially when you look at dividend payers and companies with a decent balance sheet becoming maybe attractive at some of these prices, especially on a relative basis compared to um, to bonds. Right. Well, so so the yield on the on the S and P five hundred right now, I believe, is around one point nine percent. Yeah. Right. And. And yeah, look at what you get in bonds. And and of course, in bonds, you get no inflation protection. You know, with the S&P, you know, you may have some inflation protection. I mean, there's a cross current there, too, because, um, you know, if you pay too high a multiple and we get inflation, you're going to get multiple compression. Right. But if you pay the right multiple, well, these companies can raise prices, uh, you know, as you get inflation and and maybe almost keep up you know, with inflation. So why would you want to own a bond when you can get so much more from, a, you know, from a from a dividend yield? So that's also a floor under the market as long as you have this this bond bubble. A bond bubble puts a floor under the valuation of almost everything. Right. But it's a bond bubble. How long is it going to last a year or 50 years? I don't know the answer. No one knows. Yeah, and I think that's a, a good point when you look at on a relative basis. Now, in g- getting that inflation protection, of course, companies that have the pricing power to be able to you know adjust for that, I think that makes sense for those certain companies. And then I think lastly, you know, talking about as you mentioned this bond bubble, no one knows obviously, and it's been going on for so long, and now we re- we almost reached this tipping point. And like you said, maybe we finally settle back into it to a range which is still pretty low. But when you look at, especially on the longer end of the curve, there's been some discussion about maybe the Fed losing credibility and the Fed losing control on the long end, and then maybe inflation expectations kind of jump. But they counter that argument saying they can do yield curve targeting and they can just buy, as as we mentioned, they're already doing it now all across the curve and maybe more 30-year uh, maturity. So do you, th- you know, how are you, how are you looking at that piece? Just as, well, just day, as a speculation. Well, once we get more inflation, look, I mean, we already have, I mean, look, I don't know what the effect of, um, of this craziness with the virus is going to be on inflation. Right. But yeah. we, we've had core PPI at 2.3% for month after month after month now. Right. Now, of course the fed doesn't like that number. So they switched to, um, to PCE, right? But exactly, you know, which, which is lower. I don't know where that is. One six, something like that. One, one something. Like, anyway, but yeah, we within have that yeah. range. They keep switching. You know, <laughs> they switch to it. And now they're thinking maybe they switch back, depending which number is more yeah. um, convenient right. with their story. Yeah. So I mean, we ha- so we have two point three inflation, which is percent core CPI, which is you know, which clearly makes the, these bond rates a, a total bubble. So if we get enough inflation then the Fed will lose control. I mean, this happened in the late 40s into the early 1950s. The Fed did that. They targeted rates on like the 10-year bond and they capped them. And inflation started raging in the real world. And and real world lending rates started climbing substantially because A, there was inflation and B, they said, well, the Fed is not serious about controlling this inflation because they're capping their their interest rates at artificially low levels. And that was that was a sort of a small example of the Fed losing control of the bond market. Eventually, the Fed had to relent and raise interest rates on the 10 year. So that's what will happen here. But I just don't know when, you know, if we I mean, you know, in the beginning, you know, when this was just affecting China, it would have been inflationary here because it would have been, you know, problem with the supply chain. Now it's going to be probably hugely deflationary here in this country because you have all these businesses shutting down. Right. So. I mean, there'll be cross currents. I mean, if you need to buy something and the business that makes it is shut down, then that price is going to go up. But, you know, there's also going to be a lot of people not working. And I mean, you, know, you could take a plane ride right now, probably to Europe for twenty dollars, you know, but <laughs> yeah. if, if they were flying the plane, which I guess they're probably not going to be doing now. So anyway, um, 
So the Fed will lose control eventually, but I don't know when it's going to happen. But it's inflation that will make it happen. Yeah, yeah, no, it brings up a good point. Well, uh, Mark, this was great having you on. And um, as the situation develops, we'll you'll be happy to have you back maybe in a month or two and see how things are, are moving along. As we mentioned, we're recording here on Friday the 13th. We just saw the press conference with Trump, and now we await the stimulus that's forthcoming from the Fed, you know, both monetary and fiscal and maybe UBI, everything, <laughs> bailouts. So we'll have to, uh, you know, chat again and see once we have some of these plans, you know, pushed through Congress or or however they happen, executive order, et cetera. So, <laughs> hey, if I'm uh, if I'm still alive, I'll be happy to come back. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Mark. Why don't you tell people where they can find your work? We're going to link your Twitter in the profile and link a couple of your other podcast appearances. But um, I guess the you... best thing is, you know, is is if you follow me on Twitter, you get a lot of this, and and you get some off-color jokes, and you get some Tesla stuff. So my my Twitter handle is just my name at Mark B. Spiegel, which is uh, M-A-R-K, letter B is in boy, and Spiegel, S-P-I-E-G-E-L. If you follow me there, you you know, this is, you get, you get so much of this stuff, you'll be sick of it, and you'll unfollow me. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, we encourage you to tell a friend. You can also support the show for as little as a dollar a month through our Anchor website. Just go to www.jellydonutpodcast.com. If you have feedback, find us on Twitter at jellydonutpod, or you can contact us via email at jellydonutpodcast at protonmail.com. As a reminder, all opinions expressed by guests are solely their own and do not reflect the views of their employer or any other affiliated entity. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a basis for investment decisions or advice. <laughs>